From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. We all know the names and faces of our state's powerful elected officials, the ones who make decisions that affect more than 39 million Californians. But what about those people who work behind the scenes, who are the real movers and shakers in state government? We'll ask John Howard, the editor of Capital Weekly, that each year publishes its list of the top 100 most influential unelected people in state politics. Then we'll turn our attention to the Valley. Who are the most influential unelected leaders in the north, central, and southern parts of the San Joaquin Valley? And what issues or agendas are they pushing? We'll ask Paul Hurley, former editorial page editor with the Visaya Times Delta, Daniel Bergstrom, the director and policy editor with Fresno Land, a policy and media lab that does independent research and policy journalism for the central San Joaquin Valley, and Mike Dunbar, the former editorial page editor with the Modesto B, and now a media advisor with Assemblymember Adam Gray. So who are the most influential behind-the-scenes players in state and local politics? Funding for the Maddie Report is made possible by grants from the California Emerging Technology Fund, leaders in the quest for digital equity. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Fresno State Associated Students, Inc. Students serving students. BNSF Railway, moving our economy for 160 years. And the wonderful company. The Maddie Report is also made possible thanks to contributions from Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurant and E&J Gallo Winery. From the Maddie Institute, the Public Policy Institute for the Valley's four public universities, this is the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. Welcome. In any state capital, there are those key power brokers that work behind the scenes to get things done. Often, they're only known by those in the know. Our guest is John Howard. He's the editor of Capital Weekly, a well-read publication in the state capital uh, that annually produces a top 100 um, most influential folks in California. Welcome to the Matty Report, John. Thank you very much, Mark. I'm happy to be here. So, um, you know, you state this year was quite the roller coaster. Um, that's, you thought that was the best term to describe what was going on this year from the pandemic to the recall and you know, everything else that was going on. How did that impact what you did in terms of putting the list together this year? Well, it really did affect it. Both of those issues affected the top 100 list. Uh, in terms of the pandemic, of course, we were not able to talk to people directly like we usually do in restaurants and coffee shops and schmooze places. We were all hiding in our rooms. And so a lot of this was done via telephone, email, uh, even Zoom. And there's a difference when you do it that way as opposed to sitting down and chatting with someone. So that was one big difference. As far as the recall goes, the top 100 is pretty situational and the recall dominated a lot of the coverage Rightly or wrongly, it did. And so yeah. this reflected that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting, though, when you know, we look at, the, look at your list this year compared to last year. Some names are added. Some are dropped. A typical, you know, having uh, laborers well represented. So are other special interest lobby groups. But what I noticed about this year's list was a much stronger representation of women in the top 10. Seven of the top 10 are women and a very strong representation of members of the governor's administration, his cabinet. Um, what are the takeaways? Is this just the Newsom administration settling in? You know, I think that's part of it. Uh, the top 100 list, especially the top 10 or 15, 
it's really it's kind of like a pond. The capital is like a pond, and you throw a stone in, and it ripples. You see the ripples come out. Well, in the capital, the ripples come out from the governor's office. So the personnel that he uh, appoints to run the inner sanctum in there typically get a good showing on the list. This time there are lots of women. Uh, last year, last couple of years, I think we've had a preponderance of women in the top 10. We certainly have had uh, the women as number one, a woman as number one for years. This is the first time in many, many years. I think first time I can remember we've had a male, a man as the number one. That was Jim. Yeah. Any of, any of us, any of those of us who are married know that women, women run the world. So uh, no surprise there. Uh, let, let me ask you this though. You know, you've got this top 10 we're going to talk about, but do you want to talk about any of the people that just missed the top 10? You think that are interesting people? You know, um, that's basically us playing God because we really don't know. It's you can't distinguish between number ten and number eleven, number eleven and number twelve. I, I've always th thought of the top ten list as sort of the top ten, twenty, twenty-five, and then between twenty-six and one hundred, they're almost interchangeable. And we look at those. We just try to get the personalities in we think are worthy of that, but we don't rank them in such a way we're going to get shot the next day which is well I, I mean i'm always i'm always curious though always look it's like the, the nfl draft you always look to you know they call mr irrelevant the last person drafted so always look at number 100 on your list and this year you have alexi kasov who's with the san francisco chronicle was with the sacramento b um he's been on the matter report numerous times uh, he's the one who broke the story on the french laundry and the governor that really gave fuel to the to the recall a uh, move he's yeah. fairly young though very yeah. prolific but he, he's fairly young he's current president of the Sacramento uh, Press Club. Is he next in the line of great capital reporters? I think he's already there. And I think when uh, when we put him on the top 100 list, we had this sort of unwritten code that the number 100, we wanted to have a journalist. Because a lot of times they're not getting any exposure anywhere else except in big contests or big prizes. But we thought we're sort of, we have boots on the ground and we have an idea of what good stories were. And we wanted to point those out. To people who otherwise might might not know about them, and definitely Alexei in the French Laundry story, that was something of a game changer. In the no, no question, no, no question, that really did did fuel uh, the, the movement. Um, even though the numbers ended up kind of sagging there at the end uh, of, of the opposite of the people that were supporting the recall. Um, what about those that didn't make the list? And I ask you this every year. You know, those people that get upset. Do you get any phone calls from people that hey, why wasn't I on the list, or why was I taken off the list? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to share? No names, please. Yes, I do. I got a couple of nasty emails this time, and I, I don't engage those. I don't respond or try to justify the list because really you can't. I mean, it's very subjective. Uh, but one person called the list despicable. Uh, another person said, "You guys are crazy." Uh, another person said how much they liked the list and they weren't on the list. I think they just want to make me feel good. Uh, right. We had a person that should have been on the list. And uh, I won't tell you his name. It's a he. I won't tell you his name. But next year, you'll find out who did a lot of drafting of ballot initiatives. Mm. And I didn't learn that until, until too late in the process. You know, it, so. it is really interesting, though, for folks who are working in the Capitol to have this list. It's a very handy guide for folks. So when we come back, we're going to start delving into the top 10 most influential people in California politics. That conversation in a moment. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. So who are the 10 most powerful people in state politics that are unelected? We're talking with John Howard of Capital Weekly, who publishes an annual list of the behind the scenes power players in state politics. So number 10 is a pretty familiar name uh, to many of us, D.D. Myers, 
who was the uh, press secretary for Bill Clinton uh, for two years. What's her role with the uh, Newsom administration? Um, she is, uh, she's really in charge of what we're told. She's in charge of a program called California Roaring Back, which is sort of a business, a very positive message on California business, on the economy coming back, bouncing back uh, post-pandemic. Um, she's a very good messenger, obviously, press secretary, as you mentioned, uh, for the president. She's an author. She actually did a screen. I think she was an advisor on the West Wing, which was, I thought, an interesting show, at least if you're a Democrat. And in California, she um, uh, she had worked earlier on, on Tom Bradley's campaign, former L.A. mayor, gubernatorial can candidate Tom Bradley. So she's really knowledgeable about California politics, and she's the one who has leapt, leaped the most from outside to a number 10. We've never had anybody make that kind of a change. Yeah, it was, it's, it's, it, it was interesting to know that she had worked with Bradley. I mean, she has been doing this for, I didn't realize how long she'd been doing this. Um, number uh, number nine on your list is the governor's wife, uh, Jennifer Seidel Newsom, uh, or first partner, I think she likes to be referred to, uh, clearly plays an important role in the Newsom administration. Um, but Ann Gust Brown played a, played a very influential role in Jerry Brown's administration. Same, different, I think they're different. I think Angus Brown, as you said, played a very important role with the governor, actually organized a guy who's largely unable to be organized, he struck me, uh, gave him political advice. I think when he was attorney general, Angus Brown actually read briefs and commented on them and made suggestions. I don't think that uh, Jennifer Siebel Newsom is in the same, is in the same situation. Obviously she's close to her husband and uh, they're a couple, and she's smart, and she's a documentary filmmaker, had been. So, but I don't see the same policy roots in her that I saw in Angus Brown, and that, that yeah. would be the biggest difference for me. Yeah, well, she has an MBA from Stanford, and so, you know, she's well-educated yeah. and, and knowledgeable, and certainly a good person to bounce ideas off, I'm sure, for the governor, and that's why he, he relies on her, and that's why she's at number nine. Yeah. So let's go to number eight, um, and that's uh, Ann Patterson, who's the governor's Legal Affairs Secretary. By the way, we're going to talk a little later on about the Legislative Affairs Secretary, but this is the yes. Legal Affairs Secretary. Um, what does she do and why is she on the list? Well, Legal Affairs Secretary advises the governor on legal issues, court issues, uh, facing the state, facing his administration. And, you know, it's funny you focus on this, and we had a tough time with this one, but we wound up putting her at eight. She is uh, clearly in the confidence of the governor. She's uh, obviously knowledgeable about the law. Half of the last year, more, was taken up with litigation involving PG&E and, and the governor's and the administration's response to that, negotiating uh, with PG&E over fiscal issues, wildfire issues. It was a big deal. So we think that, that was that was a $1.9 billion deal. That's a, that was a pretty big yeah. negotiations. But then she jumped from there into the COVID situation and vac vaccinations and school closures, yeah. whatever, all those things. Yeah, it's the, um, I think it's a reporter's, uh, uh, you know, Fair Play Act. It's a, it's Free Employment Act. I mean, she's done all kinds of stuff and she got involved in a little bit of everything. And I think that's what Newsom wants in his advisor. Sometimes he appoints more than one advisor that gives him the same, gives him similar information. He likes to get a diversity of opinion. Okay, well, let's go to number seven. Number seven is Keely Bossler. Um, she's down from number three. Uh, uh, in the last two years, she was holding that ranking. So she's dropped a little bit. Maybe that's because she is with the state uh, finance department. She directs it. And instead of having a budget deficit, we ended up with a quite a large budget surplus of, of $38 billion. 
but she's still in the top 10. So it tells you something about budgets, whether you have a surplus or a deficit, that's still something people are going to haggle over. Yeah, that's still a problem. In fact, I've heard people in the Capitol who are very familiar with it say it's much tougher politically to deal with the surplus than it is, uh, you know, a deficit because there's a lot going on there and a lot of people want to get paid off. You know, a lot of people want to get their programs protected. Keely Bossler could have been three, she could have been seven, could have been 10. We just think the finance department director needs to be in that top 10. She writes the governor's budgets. She's got a lot of help, but she is the principal fiscal officer in the state in terms of the administration. And she's the person people go to uh, within the state to ask for money for their programs. Yeah, so kind of important. He who has the gold yeah. or he, she who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah. Well, up next, we're going to talk about uh, the, the remainder of the uh, top 10 most influential unelected people in state politics. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Uh, we're talking with Capital Weekly editor John Howard about the top 10 most influential people in state politics, those unelected folks in state politics. So the next group is a very has some very interesting stories attached to them, um, starting with number six, Robbie Hunter. Um, he heads the powerful States Building Construction Trades Council, an amalgam that represents 450,000 construction workers in California. He's moved up slightly from last year. He was number eight last year, number uh, six this year. Bottom line, he's a consistent top 10 player, but he's been in and out of the graces, good graces of the governor. Yeah, he's had his own battles with the governor over time. I think they've made up. Uh, Robbie Hunter's really interesting because you talk to other labor leaders uh, and they don't want to mess with Robbie either. I mean, he wields a lot of clout with the unions that are that his group is affiliated with, the building construction trade. As you mentioned, 450,000 workers, they're big players. Robbie also, by the way, is leaving uh, could be as early as the end of this year or early next year. So he's retiring, but we kept him on the list because he is in place through, he was in place during the last few months and he will continue to be in place. Yeah, that, that's kind of a theme because as we go um, to the next person, um, if you're wondering if this year's been tumultuous, just take a look what's happening, not just with, with Robbie, but our next one, our number five on the list, uh, perennial top 10 person who recently announced that she's stepping away from her position we're talking about Maribel uh, Batcher, the president of the California PUC, Public Utilities Commission. Um, last year, you said, prophetically, she was on the hot seat. Congratulations. You called that. Um, and she announced she's stepping down just after one year on the job uh, in a, of a six-year term. Uh, she's stepping down. Kind of vague as to why she is stepping down. I think when you take a look at the, her placement on the list, it's really more about the position than the person. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. She's um, she's pretty amazing. She's been a troubleshooter. Uh, she was for Schwarzenegger. Uh, she has worked with Brown. She's obviously worked with Newsom. All of them, Republican and Democrat, seem to think that she really gets things done. She helped uh, revamp the DMV when they needed it. She was put on the on the Public Utilities Commission, and you're right. I think I was right, too. That is a hot seat, especially in an era when PG&E is having so many problems with sparked wildfires issues relating to costs and rates and their own solvency. Uh, she's left, I think, a year into a six-year term. It just is amazing to me that she did leave. I was very surprised. Uh, she seemed to be doing a seller job. And I think government is less uh, efficient because she'll be leaving. Yeah, whoever takes her place, I'm guessing, is going to be, if not the top 10, top 20 on next year's list, because that's an important position. And by the way, I think it's yeah. becoming even more important with the with the 
advent of, of broadband and how that mm -hmm. is just ubiquitous. It's, it touches every part of your life. The pandemic has shown that, right? Whether it's telework, telemedicine, you know, you name it, broadband is really important. And PUC has some jurisdiction in that. They do, yeah. Their utilities include a lot more than uh, public utilities, investor-owned utilities. You're right, broadband, telecommunications, railroads. Uh, there's a lot going on over there. That's a major, major state agency. It doesn't get a whole lot of coverage unless things are really bad for some reason, and then people focus on them. But day in and day out, they're a major outfit. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. So number four, you've got Mark Gailey, who's the uh, California Secretary of Health and Human Services, who, by the way, follows in the footsteps of a Valley native, Diana Dooley, who held yeah. that position in the Jerry Brown administration. Uh, as a Secretary for Health and Human Services, obviously an important post. Just take a look at the state budget. You know how important that post is, yeah. right? Um, huge section of the state budget. I think second only to education in terms of expenditures. Pandemic has only made this position more important, I would think. That was our thought, too. I thought the pandemic, first and foremost, made him an easy call for a good number on the list. He is the point person for the administration. He does briefings, does them by himself, does them with the governor, does them with others. He's a long-trained health officer, obviously. His wife, I think, is down in uh, Los Angeles, and it's a health major health official down there. Uh, the guy knows health from A to Z, and it's, I think, a pretty easy call to have him high on the list. Yeah, and if you and if you also take a look at you take a look at these guys, this guy's credentials. I mean, uh, dual degrees in biology and biomedical ethics from Brown, about an MD from Harvard. I mean, he's he's got the degrees for sure. Yeah, that's a little better than my BA from San Diego State, but you know, hey, that much better. We we love the Cal State University <laughs> system. So up next, we're going to talk. We're going to focus on the top three most influential unelected folks in state politics. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with Capital Weekly editor John Howard about the top 10 most influential unelected people in state politics. We're closing in on number one. Uh, so holding down the third most powerful position in, in California politics and state government is Angie Wee, who is the governor's legislative secretary, not to be confused with the governor's legal secretary, which we already spoke to, spoke about. Um, she stepped up from number seven last year up to three this year. Uh, what can you tell us about her and her position? Well, what we're told is no matter what the position is or even what the title is, she's a, a key political advisor to the governor. So as a legislative secretary, she keeps tabs on, guess what, the legislature, but she also spots trends. She knows what's going on out there in the hustings and the public uh, domain and how it may affect the governor. That's what she advises on. She's got a heavy labor background. Obviously, she was with the California Labor Federation uh, and a number of other positions, but whatever her title uh, she is a person who advises the governor on political issues, and she knows California politics. Yeah, talk about the Labor Federation. She was with them for 20 years, eight years as chief of staff. It just shows you the influence that unions have on California politics, even though nationwide, you know, AFL-CIO doesn't have that influence on national politics, but in state politics, unions are still quite a potent force uh, yeah. in the state capital. Uh, let's talk about number two on the list. Um, and the top two are familiar faces. Number two repeats as number two for the third year in a row. She's a person who's been a fixture uh, in, in state politics and government for years, former finance director under Governor Schwarzenegger and Governor Brown, someone who Governor Newsom has described as, quote unquote, a genius. That's Anna Amanasantos, who's the governor's cabinet secretary. She oversees the executive branch uh, state agencies, chiefs, and acts kind of as an advisor to the governor on administering this humongous state bureaucracy. So what can you tell us about her? Well, Anamana Santos is, uh, you know, amazingly 
adept at running the bureaucracy, like you mentioned. That's basically what she does. She runs the people who run the bureaucracy. And she is the ranking person. Uh, she makes the, the trains run on time. She also used to be finance director. So she knows money. And she's worked under Republican and Democratic governors. And so she's has a political, a bipartisan, she's Democrat, but she has a bipartisan uh, aspect to her that I think is attractive to governors aside from her competence. So she's a person, I think, who knows the mechanics and the policy of government. Yeah, and so so everyone has a boss, right? So cabinet secretaries are reporting to her, and she reports to the governor, but she knows where the money is and where it's right. going. So you're not going to fool her in terms of if you're a cabinet secretary asking for money, she knows how it works. So yeah. um, with that, with knowledge comes power. And so I'm guessing she's pretty powerful um, in state government. But that leads us to a new number one. Drum roll, please. Um, and that's someone who replaced last year's number one, Anna Leary, in the same position, and that is governor's chief of staff. His name is Jim DeBoo. Um, Mirak Rise, he was number 64 last year on your list. Yeah, wow. Kind of an amazing one. leap. Um, that's quite a jump. Uh, but, you know, we can. So we do. So we just <laughs> basically have fun doing it. But the, but the thing was, the debate over this list uh, really was between Anamana Santos and Jim DeBoo, who would be our number one. This may sound trivial to the listing public, but for us, this is a big deal. Anamata Santos had this amazing resume I mentioned, and uh, it seemed to be the logical position. But then uh, when we talked at the top of the show about the impact of the recall, this was an impact of the recall because Jim DeBoo, who has done advocacy, he's done campaigns, he's done fundraising, he's kind of done everything. He's worked in the building. He was the person brought in to advise the governor on the recall or at least one of them. But that was his principle. He has a political gene. I think that Anna may not have. And I think that's why at the end of the day, we asked a lot of people about this and we um, and we put in Jim. Yeah, it may be that over time, you know, now that he's passed the recall, maybe that changes and, and maybe the need of the skill set for the Ooh, chief yeah. of staff changes and therefore yeah, the chief exactly. of staff. Exactly, after, after the recall, recall is gone. Next year will be interesting. Who's the number one next year? One rumor we heard was that um, uh, Dee Myers was being groomed for that job. So we'll yeah. see. That's She did advise, she was press secretary for one president. No, no impression here about whether Newsom's thinking of other job opportunities. But uh, anyway, one quick thing before we go here, I wanted to ask you about, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, balance between men and women on, on your list. What about minorities? Um, how represented are they in the top 100? And do you see any new movers and shakers coming forward in, in the next few years we should be keeping an eye on? Uh, you know, in terms of minorities, in terms of African-Americans, I think we had two or three on this year's list. In past years, we've had more than that. Uh, so we're not doing a good job there. We try to balance them as best we can and make sure we represent the state. But I think we are in terms of ethnicity. Uh, I, we have a sizable number of Latinos and whites. We have Asians, but not as many as we should have, clearly. I think well, part of that... Oh, go ahead. It, no, I know we're running out of time, but I think, you know, that, that obviously is going to change as you see more of them get involved in, in state politics. So I'm assuming the list is going to change next year. John, I want to thank you very much for being with us. John Howard with the Capitol Weekly with his always interested, interesting top 100 list uh, of the most important, influential, unelected people in California politics. Thank Go you ahead so and read much. it. And remember, you can trust us. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us.
The Matty Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Matty Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Matty Institute. So who are the most influential unelected people in Valley politics and government? Realizing that who is the most influential is constantly changing. That has a lot to do with what issues are getting attention, together with the Valley's changing political landscape. We're fortunate to have some insightful observers of Valley politics with us today. Paul Hurley, formerly the editorial page editor with the Visalia Times Delta. Daniel Bergstrom, director and policy editor with Fresno Land, a policy and media lab that does independent research and policy journalism for the central San Joaquin Valley. And Mike Dunbar, the former editorial page editor of the Modesto Bee, and now a media advisor for assembly member uh, Adam Gray. Welcome to all of you. Um, so we're gonna get a, a good perspective of the north, central, and south parts of the valley. So uh, Paul, we'll start with you first uh, from the South Valley. Uh, what are some of the you know the big political donors uh, in local politics? Have they stayed the same in your area? Is it is it typically you know business and labor, or who are they, and and if they have they changed? In a non-election year, it's kind of difficult to tell, but uh, they, they really haven't changed. The big donors are um, growers. Uh, ag, obviously, is the big uh, industry in Tulare County. And, and so um, ag, um, uh, to the extent that they do get involved in politics, uh, the ag donors are, are still the biggest. Um, the, the Hillmans in Tulare, the Shannons in Visalia, um, uh, Tulare County Farm Bureau is very interest, uh, influential in uh, providing input to people about elections. Uh, and for, for the most part, they're effective because uh, this remains a conservative area, uh, solidly uh, red uh, Republican and uh, supportive of a very conservative um, Office holders, including, of course, our, our congressman is 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 Congressman Devin Nunes. Now we'll see what redistricting does with all of that. But um, I assume yeah. in the in the southern part of the San Joaquin Valley, in Kern County, energy is probably going to be a, a major player in terms of politics down there. But if we move as we move north uh, to the central part of the San Joaquin Valley, uh, Danielle in Fresno, and who are the the major political donors uh, when it comes to local politics? Yeah, I mean, there are some differences a little bit from the South Valley to the Fresno area in that, um, you know, we, of course, we have ag um, and labor unions play a significant role here, but then you also have a pretty large constitu constituency with the development community, both suburban developers who build a lot of tract homes, but you also have um, developers that sort of specialize in commercial development or government leasing, and so that is definitely a significant player in local politics, especially at the city level. That comes a little bit less um, as you get to the state and federal level, um, but definitely local politics developers are very, are a very big deal. Yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, Danielle, in, in, in the Fresno area and central part of the San Joaquin Valley, who are the most impactful in turning out the vote for local races? I mean, a lot of times they say that's one of the things that unions can do is, is turn out the vote. They may not have the money of developers or corporations, but they can, they can turn out the vote. Yeah, I mean, labor unions definitely are able to, to bring a lot of canvassers and, and have that sort of people power that um, developers are not necessarily able to and ag isn't either. There's also, you know, a growing, I would say community of community organizations that 
um, do engage in some election work um, um, in a in when they're able to sort of organize as a 501c4 and can do that sort of work. And um, and so you see that in local ballot measures, a lot of canvassing done um, by community groups that are not necessarily associated. And that's and that's a that's a relatively new thing. Like for example, building healthy communities was a, a big proponent of Measure P, the, the parks measure in Fresno. And you know, frankly, I've been here you know 30 plus years. You didn't see that 30 years ago, um, and you are definitely seeing that today. Um, so, Mike, if we move up to the north uh, part of the San Joaquin Valley. You know, who are the big political donors up there? Well, the biggest probably is the Gallo family in terms of you know both philanthropically and and you know politically. That's traditionally been true, but I I think for the most part uh, here in this region, we just have a predominance of, of small contributors. I mean, it's it's a big deal to find, if you look at the list of who's giving money to, to candidates or to, to causes, it's a big deal to find that somebody's given 500 bucks to, to a candidate. And you know, a lot, you know, it's like, you know, we're, we're still Mayberry in many ways, right? We're yeah. these cities of, you know, half a million people and $500 is still considered a big campaign contribution. It really is. And, and you know, and it's, the thing is there are networks up here so that if the Farm Bureau, which they often hold candidate forums, if they endorse someone, that's going to give you that's going to give you a lot of those five hundred dollar donations. Uh, the same thing is true with the realtors. Um, I, I assume it's true with the chamber as well. It's you know so it's it's the networking is more important here because you have the small donors, the predominance of the small donors. Well, what about what about you know public safety unions? I mean, typically, certainly in municipal elections, uh, police and fire carry a, a lot of weight. To get an endorsement, I, I live in Clovis, so to get an endorsement by police and fire is kind of a almost a requirement uh, to run for office. It seems um, same is that true also true in the North Valley? I think it's true on some issues. I think that the the voters here have shown that they they aren't always swayed. By, by public safety endorsements, nor are they always swayed by teacher endorsements or, or any of the other labor groups. There's, um, there's more of an independent process taking place. And uh, it's, it's why you see, you, see a lot, you see a lot of crossover here. Um, yeah. I mean, the guy I work for, Adam Gray, uh, he, he gets a significant number of republicans crossing over to vote for him well he's, he's almost like the, he's almost like the old valley crat right the kind of person that very much is, so. is puts the valley first not really political parties he's kind of positioned himself that way but you know since you opened this can of worms mike i'm going to follow up on your comment about education so i'm going to ask you first we'll go i'll go north to south valley how's that uh danielle you're in the middle again um so so mike in terms of education who do you see as the kind of the, the key unelected Kind of voice when it comes to education policy in the North Valley. Well, I think in the North Valley, it's it's the superintendents. I would be surprised if it's not superintendents in a lot of places. Uh, you know, we only have one elected superintendent, the county superintendent, but we have in this region we have probably fifty, maybe even more school districts, ranging from two hundred kids to you know thirty thousand, and and so you might have ten teachers in the smallest districts, and you're going to have 2,000 teachers in the larger districts. So they have a lot of sway and they have a lot of influence. Uh, they are the ones dealing with some of the most contentious labor issues. 
And well, some of the most contentious public meetings these days. Um, oh my gosh. Oh my you know, gosh. Who wants to be part of it now? You have, uh, you have to ask yourself. But I would also think that in yeah. the North Valley, you know, someone like Ellen John, who's the president of Stan yeah. State, or Juan Munoz, the chancellor at UC uh, Merced, also carry a lot of sway on education. Oh, they are, they are, they're, they're huge. Um, the you've you've seen the the JC has it's been through a succession of of top leadership, but I Munoz in particular I think is having a, a big impact. I mean, uh, Jung has has always been a force perhaps a little more quietly, but, but, uh, Munoz has, he's well, they, well, they're also, yeah, UC has been enjoying a tremendous number of, of, I guess, of revenue from, you know, from private sources, from state and federal, that they're getting a lot of money. So that also, you know, increases their influence, frankly, but Daniel, we moved to the central San Joaquin Valley, um, you know, in Fresno, Madera, uh, area, who are the major players when it comes to education policy? I mean, in Fresno, the Fresno Teachers Union is is unparalleled in their um, influence in Fresno Unified, of course, and um, a, a force to be reckoned with if you ever get on the wrong side of them. And outside of Fresno, um, you know, I think like in the North Valley, superintendents play a pretty significant role. Um, and there are, you know, obviously with Carol Goldsmith, the new chancellor of State Center Community College District as of yesterday, you know, she's a, a force to be reckoned with um, in, in local education policy. And, and I would say there's a few other groups that, that you know, have a, a role to sort of influence education policy. I know the Fresno Business Council sort of dips their toes in that world a lot. Um, and and there are a few other other players. As well, well, I mean, you know, you know, they also I would also say, um, not just because I work for him, but um, the president of Fresno State, it, it was Joe Castro. He's now chancellor of the CSU, a very influential position. And now we have uh, Saul uh, Jimenez Sandoval, um, who is uh, very motivated uh, in terms of maintaining and actually improving uh, Fresno State standing academically and athletically. So so he's increasingly a force uh, on educational policy issues of voice. So what about the South Valley, Paul? Um, you actually teach, you have taught at the College of the Sequoias. Uh, so you have your toe in, in education to an yeah. extent. Um, who are the major players in educational policy in the South Valley? Yeah, and I'd say the president and superintendent of the College of the Sequoias, Brent Calvin, um, is an influential uh, person in as far as education policy uh, at, at, the, at the higher levels. Um, I think what Mike, uh, his observations about the North Valley pertain also to the South. Uh, superintendents are very strong um, uh, directors of educational policy. Uh, interesting, the largest district, Visalia Unified School District, uh, 30,000 students, uh, more than 3,000 employees, including a couple of thousand teachers, um, is been in a state of change for more than a year now. They are uh, they have an interim superintendent, um, Doug Cardoza, who just took over from retiring superintendent and um and the school board is in <laughs> quite a bit of change too uh they are replacing two members of the seven member school board um uh, one of whom has moved uh to idaho i think uh, so he left the board and they had to replace that the second one has resigned uh as a result of his making some um uh embarrassing uh comments uh, racial racially motivated comments so the school board is is that normal is normally chaos boards, really <laughs> it seems like school boards no school boards generally are pretty steady in terms of they're not a lot of turnover 
you know, for example, you know, Clovis Unified, pretty as a general rule, it's, it's changed recently, but generally a pretty steady, uh, you know, board there that lasts for years and years. Um, and by the way, you probably also mentioned that Clovis Unified is, is kind of a, a major player kind of on the, on the kind of right of center, I, I suppose you'd say, um, when it comes to educational policy. Uh, they're the largest school district in the state that's non-union, for example. And though there is an attempt at, at Clovis Unified, the teachers are, are talking about organizing a union there. But um, yeah, is that is that new to, to the to not the, the case in Visalia Unified? And uh, in, in my in my time here in Visalia, more than thirty years, it rarely has been the case where you've had a a, a consistent uh, school board that you know the members have stayed in their positions for many years. Uh, no, it, it's 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 been it's been quite unstable. Um, really? Yes. You know, and in in let me make one more point about that yeah. because uh, in that um, that not necessarily vacuum but instability, uh, a number of other um, forces players have arisen. Parents groups, ad hoc um, advocates for particular issues such as those who oppose the so-called teaching of critical race theory, uh, those who oppose any mandates in school um, in, re in response to the COVID-19 uh, crisis. So it's, uh, I, it's chaotic, it really is. I, I, don't, it's not, I don't know how else to describe it. School board meetings are not the sleepy little backwater they used to be um, politically. You have and a also, superintendent and you have a school board where only like a couple of members have been on that board for more than four or five years, and they're all kinds of um, in. They're responding to currents in the community that are are, are agitating for for different issues. Yeah, I would also say you know one of the things I've noticed is uh, President uh, Lynette Zelesny down at uh, CSU Bakersfield has really been a force. I mean, if if you watch what what Bakersfield's been doing, I mean, they're doing a lot at CSUB, and, and a lot of credit has to go to to the work that she's done. I'm sure she's a she's a voice and a force in educational policy in South Valley. Um, you know, we're running up against the deadline. This I'm gonna in the next segment, I'm gonna ask you uh, two questions. Um, one's gonna be on public safety, but I also want to ask you about economic and business development. But we'll talk about that in the next segment. This is Mark Hepler for the Matty Report. We'll talk to you in a moment. The Matty Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Matty Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Matty Institute. Uh, we're talking with Paul Hurley, formerly the editorial page editor with the Visalia Times Delta, Daniel Bergstrom, director and policy editor with Fresno Land a policy and media lab that does independent research and policy journalism for the central San Joaquin Valley, and Mike Dunbar, formerly the editorial page editor of the Modesto B, and now a media advisor with assembly member Adam Gray. So uh, we're going to go up south to north um, in, in this segment, and so we'll start with South Valley with you, Paul. I want to ask you about economic uh, and business development issues. Who are the major players in that area? Well, obviously, the Visalia Chamber of Commerce. There's also a, a, a group called uh, Tulare County Economic Development Corporation, which is it's not a government body. It's independent of that. It's by invitation and business leaders. And uh, most of the big um, business interests are represented on, on that, um, uh, including the area's largest employers, which happen to be Cuya Delta Hospital, mm -hmm. uh, the county itself, uh, and, and, and the Visalia Unified School District, 
um, but also um, uh, the, the Hillmans and Tulare. Um, and um, well, in, in Visalia, uh, probably the uh, developer interests um, are, right, which are is the most prominent. Yeah. yeah, I was going to ask Danielle the same question, but probably also in the South Valley, you know, the energy obviously is very big in Kern County. It's going to be interesting as the energy market changes, uh, you know, away from fossil fuels toward renewables, what role they're going to have going forward. But um, obviously energy is a major player in Kern County. But Danielle, what about the central San Joaquin Valley? You know, a lot of people think developers uh, hold a lot of sway when it comes to business issues. What about the Chamber uh, of Commerce? Yeah, no, I think the chamber, um, you know, they have gone through periods in Fresno of more influence and less influence. And I think they're, they're back sort of on the, on the swing um, to having a little bit more influence again. Um, and it always depends, of course, on who's, who's in office and, and that plays a, a, a substantive factor. So you have the chamber, of course, you have the developer interest. There are some developers that mingle with the chamber, but quite honestly, you know, they put a lot of their force behind um, the BIA, the Building Industry Association here in Fresno, Madera counties, and that that has a, a pretty significant sway. You have individual developers like the Asimi family that sort of, they don't need a trade in industry to kind of put their weight behind. They kind of have the force of their own personality to, to make a big impact in the Fresno area. Um, and of course, labor unions play a, a, a pretty significant uh, role when it comes to business. Um, yeah, I think the construction trades in particular um, would be important in that area. So, so Mike, what about in the North Valley um, when it comes to economic and business interests? Uh, who are the leading voices? Well, you know, it's 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 never been the elected officials, believe it or not. Um, it's always been the gal or the guy with the good idea up here. I don't want to I don't want to continue the theme that we started earlier about this being Mayberry, but it, it sort of seems like that at times. I mean, we have a lot of small farmers up here. The, 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 the average farm size. By the way, by the way, I, I like the Andy Griffith show and I like Mayberry. Right. So it's a positive in my mind. Okay. I, and I do too. And, but, but the <laughs> truth is it's, we're smaller up here, believe it or not. We don't yeah. have the giant farms. We don't have a lot of the giant businesses. Yes, Gallo is located here in Merced County, Foster Farms is there. So you have the giant food processors, but there's a lot more of the, the small uh, startups. I mean, the person who wants to uh, brew better beer, uh, you know, things along those lines. Uh, and what we have up here, which I, I'm not sure it's a good trend, but we have an enormous number of warehouses popping up from San Joaquin County all the way through Stanislaw County. And, you know, and all the, the, a lot of the electeds are, are praising that, but you talk to the people who work at them and there's a lot of burnout in these, these warehouse, you know, these big giant warehouses, we've got logistical firms. It makes me wonder, you know, 20 years ago, there weren't these big things 20 years from now, they may be obsolete. And then what happens to the dozens of these giant warehouses that have popped up out along I-5, along the rail corridors? Uh, we have, I, mean, I can't tell you how many, I think we have three different Amazon fulfillment centers, you well, know, within, it, a, within a 25 mile radius. Certainly in, in the immediate future, that looks like the trend. It's just going to keep continuing it's, where the valley is going to become a logistics center, particularly in the North Valley and, and the South Valley in particular. South Valley. Mark, because Australia has has specifically developed that as a business strategy for the city. It's industrial park, and they've loaded up with 
a lot of these mega warehouses. In fact, the one they just opened for Amazon, I think, is the biggest one in the valley. Um, well, there's, there's actually, people can look this up, there's actually this concept called inland ports uh, that's being pushed uh, to kind of take some of the pressure off Long Beach and move some of that stuff to the valley where it gets dispersed from the valleys. That's another whole another issue. But unfortunately, uh, it's they're all too new to really determine what kind of effect they're going to have on on the quality of life in the valley. I mean, this really, I would submit, it's this trend has only happened in the last five years. So it'll be a while before we decide what the ultimate effect of it was as far as employee burnout, transportation, housing, uh, shifts in demographics. It's all going to change. And that's well, let's all talk about the roads. Let's talk about the impact on the roads. I yeah. mean, how many jurisdictions are requiring before they permit these things, how many are requiring improvements in the roadbeds, improvements in the depth of the asphalt? And then what happens? The, how many thousands of trucks roll over these, these roads every day? And what happens to them? Well, so, so all of these things are happening. In full yeah. disclosure, I'm on the executive committee um, of Measure C, which is a self-help transportation tax in Fresno County. That is obviously going to be an, an issue where uh, those interests, ag interests, uh, um, warehouses are going to be concerned about how the roads are maintained. So, so Danielle, um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, and I, I think that's obviously a huge deal. You see that in South Fresno where the roads are not at capacity to manage the truck traffic that's now being routed on them, which is both an issue just from a road perspective. And the city of Fresno has given a lot of um, tax subsidies to allow these warehouses to locate there and all of a sudden they're in a place where now they can't pay they don't have the money to pay to fix the roads that have created these problems but then you also have the environmental justice issue where a lot of these warehouses are being located in very poor majority latino communities that are already burdened with pollution with lower incomes and they're saying hey stop like we want to breathe our air we don't want to have to have you know, 10,000 trucks rolling past our house every day. And they're becoming more and more of a political force. Um, yes. You know, you can maybe argue, maybe maybe technology will solve this problem with hydrogen trucks and, and uh, electric trucks or something. But I, I would note that the business community, at least certainly since I've been in, in, in the San Joaquin Valley, has really taken the lead in a lot of public policy issues. They've, a lot, there are a lot of positive, uh, in, a lot of positive influence by a lot of business leaders. They're really real community stewards and you can list you know, Bill Lyles, and there's all that, a long list of, of names of folks who've really tried to make the community better. So there's been that side that I've really seen um, in, in my 30 years here. We've only got a few minutes left. Um, so just really quickly, I kind of want to bring together this whole public safety issue. There's also, you know, with the issue of diversity and inclusion, and, you know, who are the leaders um, in that area? And, and maybe we can do some shout outs to some people that are really trying to help bring people together as opposed to tear, tear people apart. So, so Paul, you know, in a minute, uh, who would you say in the South well, Valley? Well, obviously, our police together. chief in Visalia, Jason Salazar, are important for uh, public safety. And I, I really appreciate the approach that he's taken to really what are social issues, such as homelessness, um, uh, such as uh, 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 mental health. And, and I believe that, that he and his department are working to uh, modernize our police department in response to those. Also, another shout out to a director of um, uh, an initiative out of Tulare called Salt Plus Light. Adrienne Hillman um, and her group is doing a great job in response to homelessness. Okay, Danielle, what, what about in the Central San Joaquin Valley? You know, I think if I had to call out one specific sector or group of leaders, I would say that the faith community in Fresno and especially 
pastors from the Black community in Fresno have really become bridge builders when it comes to public safety conversations around how do we make sure that we have a, a supportive public safety infrastructure that is not um, you know, disproportionately harming Black and Brown communities in Fresno. You know, Pastor B.T. Lewis, Pastor D.J. Kreiner, those are just two leaders that have really stepped up and have, um, I think, forged new alliances. And I think, I think also, you know, the Central Valley Community Foundation with Ashley Swearingen, who has kind of a unique background, starting in economic development, then former two-term mayor of Fresno, and now working in the nonprofit area, you know, has, I think, has an opportunity to, to build some bridges um, it, with the different groups. And I, I know that that's her avocation that she really feels strongly about, whether you agree or disagree with her policies. Um, she's certainly, that's what she's kind of focused on. We've only got a minute left. So, Mike, we're going to give you the last word. What about the North Valley? Well, in the North Valley, we're seeing the same things that we see in Fresno. Uh, the uh, the African-American community in particular has been very, very strong in starting the conversation with law enforcement. I mean, uh, Reverend Darius Crosby, Jeremiah Williams, Wendy Bird, uh, they're all very, very active. You talked about the Community Foundation. I mean, Marianne Cannon here in Stanislaw County, uh, it's it's the Stanislaw Community Foundation is a quiet organization in how much good they're doing. But one of the things they, they are trying to do is convene the conversation. And they're trying to get us talking about these issues so that more voices are heard, it's more inclusive. And that's the beauty of the Community Foundation. Yeah, and I, I'm super impressed with Marion Kane and she's uh, very impressive in the North Valley in the uh, Stanislaus Community Foundation. Well, I wanna thank our guests for that discussion, Paul Hurley, formerly the editorial page editor of the Visalia Times Delta, Daniel Bergstrom, director and policy editor with Fresno Land, and Mike Dunbar, former editorial page editor with Modesto B, now a media advisor with assembly member Adam Gray. And thank you for joining us. The Matty Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Matty Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.